Thanks for doing that, um, especially when I forget to coordinate midweek and I asked you about five minutes ago if you would do that. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, awesome. Well, I'm Jonathan. Hopefully I got to meet you if you're a guest here. If I didn't, please stop me on the way out. Um, you know, it's, um, I hope that you were here for the, 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 the shaking of hands, you know, I don't know what you call it, right? But like, we, this is something we started to do recently, and I, and I think it's, a, it's good, it's good, because um, we are obviously a small church, right? We, we, know, we know everybody, and, and that's a good thing. And, and what we read in Scripture is that, that that is how God intends the body of Christ to be, that uh, if you walk in these doors, right, like you all, everybody brings what they have to the table, and we all gather in here, and John Holiday plays bass for the first time, so thanks, John, for doing that. That's awesome, you know? Um, and, um, you know, and, it's, and that's what it is, right? Like, we, we, we all just bring what we have uh, before the throne of God and worship him together, and that's, and that's the beauty of what this is. And so it is a, uh, a privilege to get up here and, um, and preach and speak to God's word. And I will tell you, I missed this uh, greatly last week, and it's, it's good, and I appreciated uh, Gene uh, and everybody for doing all the things and, and, um, and preaching on my behalf, and, and not even on my behalf. That sounds horrible. It's not on my behalf. It's on your behalf, <laughs> right? We're, we're all coming together doing this, right? And, so, and, and, that's, and it's good, but I missed it so greatly, not just because I was at work, but because it just... It's, I miss you guys. I miss being here. Um, so we're going to, this is a huge transition in the Gospel of John. And can you go back one slide, Emma? Is that cool? Thanks. Um, so we broke up John into two, there we go, into two, uh, sir, like into two sections. And we didn't, John did. Uh, and by implication, God did. Uh, the first section of this is the signs of Jesus. And it's very clearly Jesus does some miraculous healing. He does something. He clears the temple. He heals the blind man, right? Like he goes through these things. And then he makes this grand statement about who he is and what that means. And, and what we see in chapter 11 and what Gene preached on last week is when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was it. Like that was the transition point of now the animosity towards Jesus is clear. It's, it's not just we don't like this guy, we don't know what he's doing, it's he needs to die. And what we're going to see this morning is that this pivotal transition is intentional because what John is going to take us to is now, no, no, it's not, it's not just about the signs of Jesus, it's not just what did Jesus do that makes him amazing, right, and the son of God, and that should draw us to that conclusion, but that he's worthy of glory. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. And I, I, I like the word glory when it comes to God. And I will tell you, I Googled the word glory quite a bit this week because I just don't I, don't, I don't think we understand it. I don't, I don't like it. It's awkward. It's a weird word. Um, it's like legacy. It, it, it strikes this chord in me that I'm like, it just makes me feel icky. <laughs> I don't know a better word to say. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the comparison between God's glory and the glory of man. 
All right, so let me, before we start, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us your word, for teaching us, for speaking into our lives through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for changing our hearts, not just solving our problems, but for changing who we are, for reconciling us to you. No, we can't do that on our own. We can't defeat the things that you've defeated. We can't conquer the things that you've conquered on our behalf. And so we praise you and we give you the glory this morning. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I don't know why I thought about this on my way to church this morning. I, and not to make this continually about the Zern family, but, um, but, like, but Jack won like a state championship thing, right? Which is pretty awesome, right? Like for cross country, I mean, like, dude man can run, okay? Um, and, and, and maybe this is why, but, I, and <laughs> this is going to sound weird. It's, anyway, I, I'm, I'm not in any way comparing. Um, but I thought about this on the way in because I was trying to think of, like, where do we see glory in our world? Where do we see glory in the life that we live, in, in the things that we've accomplished and defeated, and, and right, the underdogs winning, and I, and I went to like, um, so I played soccer for some time, and I was a pretty uh, a s- small young man, and, um, and for whatever reason, my entire soccer team was really short, like we were all like the little guys, I don't know, and I remember like when I, and this was, I was 11 or 12, so it was young, and we were on this travel team, and, and I remember like, we, we didn't think we were going to win. Anyway, whatever, we ended up winning, and it was the state championships. And, and I remember being just absolutely exhausted at the end of the game, and then we, they gave us, like, our, our team flag, and we grabbed the flag, and they're like, okay, run around the field. And we're like, really? Like, we just finished running around the field for the last 90 minutes, right? And so here we are running around the field, and, like, everybody's kind of, but, but, but you had to. It was, this was your, this was your moment. This was the time everybody's eyes were on you, and I'm sure, Jack, you can, you know, and this, and I'm not, like, this is, it's an incredible opportunity, and it's still one that fixes in my mind. And we were, and we were glorified in that moment for our talent, for our accomplishments, for what we did, and it was incredible, and it was well-deserved. I don't put that on my resume. (laughs) Nobody's asked me how I did in my you know, when I was 11 years old on soccer, right? <laughs> and yet, when we go through our lives, we, we, we kind of live this way, don't we? We live from one glory moment to the next, from one accomplishment to the next, whether that's a successful career or a blooming relationship or whatever. What, whatever it looks like, financial you know, hurdles and, and leadership things and people think you're a good leader and people think that you're this. And it's all about glory. The word for glory in Greek is doxa. I probably pronounced that wrong. But uh, it has two meanings. And, and it's kind of funny because I'm going to tell you the two meanings and you're going to go, those have nothing to do with each other. And then, and then I'm going to say a sentence, and I hope, and, and you'll see how they... And one is it means like opinion or judgment. 
and the other one is brilliance, like a star. And the Bible actually calls the stars glory because of their brilliance. And so when we talk about glory, it's, it's the world, it's others giving an opinion or judgment about your brilliance. <laughs> That's really what it is. Or about somebody's or something's brilliance. It's talent, it's success, it's worth. We just sang a song that Jesus defeated the grave. I defeated 11, 11-year-olds. It's, it's funny, but it's sad. I defeated the other, you know, 15 people in my business, right? And I'm in some superior position to them. That's cute. You see, the comparison just doesn't even, it doesn't even equate. And yet, we all live from one glory moment to the next. And so this is what we're going to be talking about today. This is a long intro, I know, so I'll speed up. Um, so John is, writes the gospel of John, right? His gospel account, he's very intentional, right? And we read this at the very end of John, John chapter 20, verse 31. And we've said this over and over again, right? He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's not obscure about what the point is. He's not just writing a biography. His, his intention is not even, frankly, chronological entirely. He, his goal is that you would see the signs of Jesus, see what he did, see what he said about himself, and you would glorify him. And he would be worthy of honor and glory in your life. That's John's goal. And so everything that he does and says is about that. And we saw this last week, right, as we, as we walked through this, well, in the last three months, right, as we went through the first 11 chapters of John, Jesus made all sorts of declarations about who he is and why he came. He didn't come to, like, make sure everybody was healed. He didn't come to solve social problems. He didn't even come to solve your physical problems. And I'm sorry, I, we all pray about these things and we want them to be gone from us. But the reality is, is we live in a fallen world. And they're always going to be here. But they're not what you need. What you need is a heart change. We need heart transplants. We need, we need our hearts changed so that we have the affections of God. And you and I cannot do that. <laughs> I, I had this conversation with somebody this last week, like, and I think I've said this before up here. I can't change what I like and what I don't like. You can't change what you like and what you don't like. It's just, it's, you would even say this is who I am. And this is the beautiful part. God changes who you are. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit works in your heart. He changes. He says, you think you like that? You think that that's satisfying? You want that glory? Let me show you how pathetic that glory is. And then he just crushes it, pulls out the legs from under it, and you're like, oh, this is horrible, life's horrible. And the whole time, God is trying to, to woo you and to bring you into recognizing who he is. It's not, it's not in some, um, I lost my word. It's not in some, like, bad way. 
It's not like God's trying to be bad to you. I, 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 there's a better word than bad here, but I can't find it. But it's not that God's being uh, cruel or anything like that. He wants you to have what's really good. And that's a relationship, that's an aligned heart with him. Because he defines goodness. And so we saw last week, and hopefully in your, in your studies, right, like uh, we went through, um, or Gene went through Lazarus being raised from the dead. And then what we read at the end of this, in John chapter 11, verse 48, here, here is the statement that I think we all could make. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, watch all this happen, and they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Praise God. <laughs> They weren't saying that, though, right? But that's, that, that's really it. And they go, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, they weren't concerned with truth at all. They were concerned with the status quo. And so are we. We don't like change. And if we're really honest, I think, I think this statement reveals the problem in our heart and that we're concerned about what Jesus is going to take from us. If we, if we really follow Jesus, what's it going to cost me? <laughs> Am I really willing to take that step? Because I don't want my place or my nation, I don't want my circumstances. I like my circumstances. Can I just get the Jesus badge and I'll just put that on my hat or something and then I'll have like the, the Christian label and we'll be good. And life will just continue in the way it is, but I'll just have a little bit of Jesus when I need him. He doesn't afford us that opportunity. He does, that's not what he wants for you. And frankly, that's, that's the scariest place to be because that's the place where you think you have the blessings of God. That's the place where you think things are right and they're powerless because the little pin doesn't actually do anything. And so the question for us then is, are we willing? Have we weighed the cost? Do we, do we actually evaluate and recognize what following Christ looks like, what serving him looks like? Are we, will, are we really willing to give up the pursuit of our own glory for his glory. That's a tough one. And here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. It doesn't mean you're not going to do amazing things. It just means that you're looking at and interpreting and doing these things for his glory. Right? Right? That your successes in whatever that is, whether that's material success or organizational success or in any sort of capacity, whatever that looks like, that that you are thinking about, how do I use my station, my place, where I'm at to glorify God, to bring him glory? Because he's the only one that's defeated Satan and sin and death. He's the only one that can change hearts. I don't want to be in the middle of that. I can't do any of that, those things, and you guys can't do any of those things. And so what's our, what's our goal in life is not to be glorified ourselves, but to glorify God alone. And so that's the cost. And that's a heavy cost. Because we like affirmation. We like kudos. 
we like these things, and it's a trap, and we find ourselves going down this path of like, I, I, I want this. So you have to ask yourself, do you want it because you want it? Do you want it? What, what's your reason? What's the why? And I've told you guys before, it's, it's hard getting up here. Because I always have to ask myself the same thing. My why? I mean, honestly, I need you guys to, like, realize this. Like, think about this. Like, get up here. You guys are listening to me. That's a scary why. It can't be my why. That's, that's our why. Right? And this is something that I, I do trepidatiously because I don't like it. I, I don't like where I can put myself. And maybe you're in a similar circumstance in your work or your personal life or whatever. But we have to be really careful about what our whys are. Whose glory are we seeking? Because we're powerless and pathetic humans. And we have no ability to make any determination about eternity in our own lives. So, so John makes this shift. He says, listen, you're going you're gonna to lose things. <laughs> it's going to cost to follow Christ. But he's going to say, but look at the glory of Jesus. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done, what he will do in the context where we're reading, what he will do, right, for us now, what he has done. And so he looks at this and he points to this and he goes, this is real glory. This is where glory is defined. And, his, and in fact, Jesus will call this, it will be called his glorification. From, from, this, from chapter 12 on is one week. The first 12 was like two years. Verse 11. And so what we're walking through is his walk, his path, the holy week to the cross. Well, that doesn't seem very glorifying, but it is. It is, and we're going to see as we dive into this, Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of that is his glorification. It's, it's what earns him worth and glory. Not just because he's the son of God. That certainly is worthy of worship, right, and worthy of glory. But in that, he actually did these things for us, makes him worthy of of even more glory. And so when we talk about glory, it, I, I say it often up here, right? Like we live for the glory of God and this is for our good and his glory. And it can sound very self-consuming. It can sound very selfish. Like God is this glory hog that he's just like looking for people. He's like, I just want people to pay attention to me and worship me. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. But what we're doing is we're taking who we are as humans and we're overlaying this onto the only good, all-creating God. It, it doesn't translate. In fact, if God was for somebody else's glory, then whoever that is would be God. I'll just leave you guys with that one. <laughs> Let that percolate for a little bit. But God, God is good. God is perfect. 
he is about himself because he knows in him is life and truth and goodness and love and all of these things. And so he has to be about himself because if he was about something else, it's going to be less. And so we need to wrap our minds around that. This is real glory and it's worth our worship. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 12, verse 12. says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So let me, let me stop us right there. So the next day, if you, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, it said this was six days before the Passover. Jesus goes to Mary Magdalene's house, right? Uh, actually, not to her house, but uh, anyway, Jesus is having dinner there. Mary Magdalene anoints him with this perfume. You guys read this this week, hopefully in your small groups. And what John is doing is he's leading him up. This feast that he's talking about is Passover. Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. And if that doesn't mean anything yet, it will in the next two months as we finish up the gospel of John. So John is setting this up going like, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Mary is anointing him one week prior. She's preparing him for burial. This is, this is symbolic. That's not what she's doing. She's just worshiping him. But symbolically... She's preparing him for this. And all the people have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. But it says that in verse 12, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. There was rumors. There was buzz. In fact, we, we read at the end of chapter 11, with the threats of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. Like He had kind of had to hide for a bit because he was going to get murdered. And so now he's walking into Jerusalem. People heard that this was going to happen. They were excited. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what Jesus was going to be. Like They knew that he was the Messiah. It says that some of them even knew that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Look what it says in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That word Hosanna is actually a transliteration from Hebrew. Um, it, it actually means save us. Please save us. It's like, it's this desperate plea. It's this celebration. In fact, they would have all been familiar with it. The, the halal in, in Psalm 118, they read every um, feast of dedication. Psalm 118, verse 25. And they would read, save us, we pray, O Lord. Same words there. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is, this is what Jews had been saying yearly. And every time they read Psalm 118, they were waiting and longing for the time that the Messiah would come. This was a messianic psalm. They understood that to be. And so when Jesus is coming into town, they're like, this is it. The Romans are dunsky. They're out. And we're going to win. And they're excited. And they already saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They're like, this dude can do anything. And so they're waving these palm branches. And look at what it says in verse 14. And Jesus came in riding in on a war horse, beating his chest. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, 
just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is from Zechariah 9.9. It says, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was a prophecy. This is what everybody was waiting for. This, this Zechari- the prophet Zechariah writing, I, don't, I didn't research when he wrote this, but at least 400 years prior. I do know that. He was saying this is how the Messiah is going to come. Now, Jesus would have known that. You could say, oh, well, this is just Jesus trying to pretend to be the Messiah. Well, he is the Messiah. He at least knew it and took this donkey and said, here we go. This is, this is the humility of our God. John paraphrases Zechariah. It's not word for word. And we can get into that. that that's not, uh, it's not how that was done. They didn't, they didn't do like citational references. You didn't get in charge, you know. There wasn't like plagiarism in the same sense there is today. And, but John changes that word rejoice to fear not. Which I think is beautiful. Right? Because if, if, if this ruling, conquering Messiah, which is what they thought, right? They thought this guy was going to roll in and, and clean house and establish the Jewish state, and they would be back to God's people, and in his right state, like everything was going to be perfect. That's what they thought was going to happen. They didn't realize that God was in the the heart change business. And so what ends up happening here is like, if, if that's your picture, that's your picture of this powerful, ruling, conquering person, that's awesome if you're on their right side. If you're on the wrong side, if you, if you throw shade towards this person later on, is something going to, this powerful person, is something going to happen that like this person's going to then not be for me anymore? You see, this is the beautiful part. That's not how, that's not how Jesus comes. That's not, that's not his point. He comes in humility. He is for us, for all of us. This is why John says, fear not. There's no fear in this. He's not coming to conquer you. He's coming to conquer Satan, sin, and death. The things that are enslaving you. That's when he's coming to conquer. You have nothing to fear. He's for us entirely through and through. It says in verse... I've gone all over the place, haven't I, Emma? I'm sorry. We're going to read verse 16 now. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. John says this often. The disciples didn't get it at the time. They get it in retrospect. They get it now, you know, they understood these, these, where, where Jesus was going, what he was doing. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remember that these things had been written about him 
and had been done to him. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So they're, they're thrilled, they're excited. Here's the sad part, and we read this throughout John. They believed, and then they didn't believe, and then they believed. And, and In fact, I think there's a whole chapter where it was like, did they really believe or did they not? When he uses that term, believe, is that real belief? Is that saving belief? And John uses this throughout his gospel, and I think intentionally so. Because I think sometimes we use the word belief, and we think we believe because things are going right. And then when things go wrong, that's when we struggle in our faith. And that's real. That's real. But our faith endures, right? And, and if, if we have been reconciled to God, like even in those times, we go to God and we go, I don't know what I want, God. I don't know what the right answer is here, but I, I need you to, to solve this predicament, whether that's in my own heart, in my own mind, or physically, or emotionally, or whatever. You see, because this crowd is singing Hosanna, waving palm branches in just six days, five, four, four, four days, quick math, they're going to be yelling crucify. What happened? Well, he gets arrested. They're like, oh, not the guy we thought he was. Sometimes we do that, right? We live our lives, we're like, this is awesome, God is for me. Everything's clipping, everything's going in the right direction, and then all of a sudden, something goes south, and we go, oh, I guess God isn't as powerful as I thought he was. God is not a God of our circumstances. He's, he did not come to conquer our societal problems. I know that's tough to hear. He didn't even come to conquer, and I use the word not in the literal sense. He didn't come to conquer all of our demons in our lives. Like these are part of our sinful fall, part of our culture, part of, part of our life, cancer and all, all of these things, right? They're horrible and they're sad and they should cause us to long for the only God who can conquer them. Look at what it says in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. See, their concern was the same. We're going to lose our station. We're going to lose our place. Life is going to change. This person cannot continue. We have to solve this problem. And then John goes on right into verse 20. He says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is beautiful, right? Because in verse 19, he says, the world has gone after him. And then he goes, and there were Greeks there. And, and just to give you a little bit of historical background, right? You had, in, from the Jewish perspective, you had Jews and you had non-Jews. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. You had Jews and you had Greeks. That's how they described everybody else, right? And so for them, when he says the world has gone, when the Pharisees are confessing, which is just beautiful God's sovereignty, right? Because they're saying it with animosity, uh, but they're really prophesying truth. And they say, the world's gone after him. This is horrible. And then John goes, and there were Greeks. And the world has, in fact, gone after him. 
Verse 21, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. He was a Greek. And asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. It's a, kind of an interesting, like very descriptive, like <laughs> telephone game. Right? But this, this does, I would argue, pushes towards John's intent to communicate truth and reality and actually what transpired, right? It says in verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? Glorified. This is the point. And I was going to spend a little bit of time on this, but I didn't have any time and I'm already running late anyway. So in John chapter 2, Mary his mother, right, they're at the wedding in Cana and Galilee, and she goes, hey, do something, Jesus. Solve this wine problem, <laughs> which I think, still think is humorous, right? We're out of wine. Jesus, I need you to solve this problem. And Jesus says, what? My hour has not come. And then apparently an hour later, his hour had come, and he's like, okay, let me do this, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, that's not the point of this, right? But it's very clear here that Jesus marks this as a point. The Greeks have come to see him. The world has come to see him. This isn't just about the Jewish nation anymore. The world has come to see him, and Jesus says, this is now time for me to be glorified. This is it. This is the pivotal mark. And who it says in verse 27? Wait, sorry, I skipped a whole chunk. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's obviously alluding to his inevitable death here. But then he gives us some teaching in this. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will, be, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the right relationship. This is what we should be pursuing in our life. Not our glory. But the Father honoring us. This too, this word here, honor, is not the same as glory, but it is the same in that it's a judgment. It's a judgment of worth. It's a judgment of respect. It's a judgment of God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the right relationship. And when he says, hate your life, he's not saying go around hating everything that's going on, but he's saying, you're, you're here to serve. You're here to, to draw attention to who I am, to glorify God. And that's what he's pointing to. And he's like, if you're trying to hold on to your life just for the sake of your life, if you're trying to win things in your life just to win things in your life, just to gain the glory of man, you're going to lose your life eternally. But if you're willing to set aside who you are, your success, your achievements, your accomplishments, if you're pursuing the glory of God in your life, you're my servant. You're following me. In fact, we saw throughout this, what, would, what did Jesus say over and over again? He's like, I didn't come to glorify myself. I came to glorify the Father. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus comes to do. And we won't even take those words. And so then Jesus responds in verse 27. Now... 
is my soul troubled? This is, this is John's Garden of Gethsemane moment. John doesn't have the Garden of Gethsemane the way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it. But, but this is, is, is that same place where John is communicating to us the significance of what Jesus was going through. This was real for him. This is real. This isn't, this isn't make-believe. He's not like, yeah, whatever, i got to do these things, and I don't really feel any of these things. No. His soul was troubled. He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And then look at what it says. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus' incarnation, him coming down. Go read Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus gave up what he had in heaven to come here. Why? Purely for you and me. No other reason. There's no other reason he gave up that glory, his position, his status to come down here. And so the irony that the Pharisees are concerned about their position and their status, or even that we're concerned about our position and our status, and Jesus is like, you have no idea what I gave up for you. You have not a clue. And if we could just wrap our minds around that, if we could just actually understand what Jesus gave up, what he suffered, what he longed for, for us. He says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. This is the third time that, that, that God audibly speaks. One at Jesus' baptism, one at the transfiguration, and here. And God speaks, and nobody really knows. Jesus hears him. <laughs> Jesus clearly hears him. In fact, Jesus didn't even need it to be audible for him to hear the Father, right? And so this is why Jesus says, this was for yours. This was for you. This is for you to understand the significance of these events, whether it's thunder or an angel, whatever it is, like this is God speaking. This is God speaking, saying that the weight of what's about to transpire is about his glory. And then Jesus is going to give this summary. Verse 31. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It's not Rome. It's not any other city-state or any other thing. He says, Satan Satan will be defeated. The, the, the cause of our sin and suffering and frustrations and difficulties and, and distractions, all of that, he's like, that will be defeated, that will be cast out. Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Lifted up on a cross. That's what he's talking about. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. This all sounds familiar, right? We've read this. While you have the light, believe in the light 
that you may become sons of light. And so Jesus in this short section, as he's talking about his own glorification, points out three things. First, that Satan's sin and death will be defeated. That he's, that he's going to draw all people to him. That's all people. That's Jews and Gentiles. That's everybody. There's nobody that, that's outside of this that's outside of God's purview, everybody will be drawn to Christ. And then lastly, he's going to change our hearts. You see that very last word, that you may become sons of light, children, reconciled to the Father, changed hearts. That's what he's promising. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. You're like, wait, I thought they did believe him. <laughs> What's going on here, right? The, the fickleness of our hearts, John is very clear about. He says, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So what he's saying here is, is these people have seen signs. The arm of the Lord has been revealed. Clearly, people have walked that have never walked, see who can never see, right? Hearts are changed. All of these things are happening. This is the arm of the Lord. And then look at what it says. Probably one of the saddest statements in Scripture. Verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. They did not believe. And so they could not believe. It's a hardened heart. It's a rejection. It's a rejection of God. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see me with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. Okay? So now we... We get this term again, right? John says, the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. And here's the reason why. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's about glory. It's about whose glory are you seeking? And John gives this summary at the end. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Believing in Jesus is believing in God. Verse 45, And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Seeing Jesus is seeing God. Seeing the works of Jesus is seeing the works of God. Verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, he is, he is the light. He is our only path to escape. Verse 47, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say, and what to speak. Jesus' words are the words of God himself. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. 
What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is eternal life. This is where Jesus sets all of this up, and he goes, this is about my glory. This is about the Father's glory. This is not about your glory. And John sets this up beautifully for us to see this contrast. Why? Why are we deceived and distracted? Why are we, you know, we're like pickpockets stealing a little bit of glory out of God's pocket in trivial times throughout our lives. And God goes, it's not about your glory. It's about my glory. Because I do the hard work. I do the heavy lifting. I change hearts. I save souls. And so what we're going to see is for the rest of this uh, Gospel of John, it's going to be about Jesus' glory, his glorification, his worth, so that we see the brilliance of who he is in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and we can glorify him and him alone. Let me pray. Father, we want to be 